0: Alright, so we are in Exodus chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, Exodus chapter 12 is where we're going to start, and then we are going to uh, hightail it all the way through Exodus chapter 14, so here we go, we'll see how this this works. Um, It's been such a great morning, I think I've had cold chills all morning long, and we're not done... Yet I'm so excited to be able to dig into our text this morning to look at what we're what we're studying We've been in the book of exodus now since the first of the year We just walked through the book of exodus verse by verse story by story and seeing uh, what Seeing what God has for us as we walk through this great book that really frames the entire old testament this morning What we're going to do is we're going to look at the two biggest events in all of scripture. That's all Nothing major, just the two biggest events that Scripture talks about. The biggest event in the Old Testament and the biggest event in the New Testament. And we're going to see a God that never changes and a God that is worthy to be worshiped. And I just want to be honest with you as I get started this morning. Easter is obviously a big deal for us as Christians. It's obviously a big deal for us as churches. It's a big deal in every church. If you're visiting here this morning, it's your first time here, or maybe you've just been here a couple of times, welcome. Our hope is that we are able to put our best foot forward this morning. We want to be able to, to do things well. We hope things go well for you as, as you are here. We always want things to go well, but especially on Easter. Sunday, and if you've been at Providence here for a long time, we want this to be great for you too. We want this to be a great morning. Some of you serve regularly, some of you are serving maybe even for the first time this morning, we say thank you, but I want to be clear here, just kind of up front, we want to put our best foot forward, but we don't want to be something that we are not. We want to look good for sure, but we don't want to be in costume here on Sunday morning on an easter sunday and can i tell you a secret that most pastors will never tell you on easter sunday the easter sunday message is the hardest of the year to prepare I, almost every pastor i know would say that i certainly would say that and the reason why is because one it's a text that most people are pretty familiar with so you try to figure out how do you want to explain this and talk about but also because as a pastor, I feel tremendous pressure to get up here, to deliver a message, to knock it out of the park, and have everybody laughing to start and crying to finish. That's what, that's what you want to be able to do. You want to be able to put together this, this great thing. But I want to tell you this morning, I don't think this message is going to be one of those, and I've not prayed that God would make it one. My hope is that looking at our text this morning, that you will be overwhelmed by the power and the mercy and the glory of God. And that was my prayer last week. And that'll be my prayer next week. And it was my prayer last year and the year before that, and every single time I've ever stood up to speak in front of anyone. It's what I pray before I walk up here, and this Sunday is no different. We say often here at Providence that every Sunday is Easter Sunday, and we mean that with all that we are. We celebrate the resurrection every single week. It's why we meet on Sundays. That's why Christians began meeting on Sundays, not on Saturdays as the Jewish tradition was, but on Sundays because Sunday is the day that he came out of the grave. And so I hope that that means this morning, what you see here this morning is no different than you would see any other morning, just the glory of God. That's why we're here. So with that introduction, let's dig into the book of Exodus and let's see a God who is about to put on a show that I could not rival, I don't care how good of a speaker I was. He's already been putting on a show for the last few chapters, and what we've seen, we've gone through the ten plagues that have absolutely decimated the nation of Egypt, that have wrecked Pharaoh's view of what he thought God or the gods that he worshipped were, and he's left an entire country on its knees now in grief. And now God's going to finish the job, and he's going to free his people. This morning, we look at the Exodus This event that will come to define God's people in the Old Testament, and even today defines the Jewish people. This morning we're going to look at this. This event that's so important. If you go throughout the Old Testament and you try to count all the times, I tried to do this, I legitimately tried to do this over the last couple of weeks, completely lost count, it's impossible to go through the Old Testament and find everywhere where the Red Sea or the Exodus or being set free from bondage and set free from, from slavery, it's impossible to number all the times that's mentioned in the Old Testament. And then whenever you put the allusions to that as well, where they don't say it explicitly, but they kind of refer to it, it's all over the Old Testament. It's the defining moment for God's people, at least in the Old Testament. So let's look at it here in Exodus chapter 12. And I may move a little bit fast because we've got a lot to get through. But Exodus chapter 12, verse 31. He summoned Moses, this is Pharaoh, after the, 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 the tenth plague, Passover, the death of the firstborn. Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron during the night and said, Get up, leave my people, both you and the Israelites, and go, worship Yahweh as you have asked. Take even your flocks and your herds as you, as you asked and leave, and also bless me. And now the Egyptians pressured the, pressured the people in order to send them quickly out of the country, for they said, We are all going to die. So the people took their dough before it was leavened, with their kneading bowls wrapped up in their, clo- in their clothes on their shoulders. So Passover has come, the grief and the terror has gripped the Egyptians. You can feel how scared they are of the Israel, Israel people now and of Yahweh, of Israel's God. You can feel the, the fear that they have. They're, they're, they, Pharaoh has given the green light for the Israelites to go, that these slaves are now free. And once that green light is given, the Egyptians are pushing them as fast as they can. Get out of here. We've had enough of you. We're scared to death of you, quite literally, and what your God can do. Get out of here. They basically forced them out. They'd suffered so greatly under the hand of God, and they knew that these people being freed and being away from them was their cure to their suffering, and they wanted them gone. Then look at these next two verses. Verse 35 the Israelites acted on Moses' word and asked the Egyptians for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing, and the Lord gave the people such favor in the Egyptian sight that they gave them what they requested, and in this way they plundered the Egyptians. If you think back to what we've read so far in this book, the brutal nature of the enslavement of the Israelites. They've had their firstborn thrown into the river to make sure they didn't get too big. They've had their workload increased and their conditions made even more brutal and harsh. The people were so afraid of Pharaoh that they rejected Moses not once but twice as their deliverer they tried to reject him because they were so afraid of what Pharaoh might do. That's how much they were under the thumb of the Egyptian people and under Pharaoh. Now they have so much sway over Egypt that they are being ushered out of the country and the Israelites are demanding silver and gold and clothing and livestock and these people are throwing it at them just so that they will leave. Moses had told Pharaoh this would happen. He had told them that Israel would walk out of Egypt and not even a dog would bark at them. For those of you guys that have been over to to my house, you know that we have a dog that lives next door to our house. But it's not just any dog. It's a Rottweiler. It's a real scary looking dog, Uh, but it's also a really friendly dog. Probably the most danger that you're in from this dog is if you walk across the invisible fence line, uh, that it will eat your shoelaces. I don't understand why that's what the dog wants to do, but that's what it wants to do, and it will eat your shoelaces. But here's the thing, it's really a scary dog. Uh, especially if you ask my son Isaiah, he will tell you it's really a scary dog. He doesn't like it when we're in the driveway and you leave the door open, like to run inside because you forgot something. He's convinced that dog's going to go through that invisible fence, come in that car, and eat him. He is convinced that's exactly what's going to happen. And the, the dog's name is, is Shadow, and it scares my kids to death, even though it's such a sweet dog. But it is behind an invisible fence. But here's the thing about invisible fences they're invisible. So you don't actually see them there, and whenever that dog decides, hey, I probably know you, but I might not know you, so I'm going to bark at you like I'm going to eat your face, you get scared, and and it comes running right up to the edge of that invisible fence. So when that dog decides he wants to freak us out, he pretty much does. Actually, it's a she, but it looks like a he, so we just call it a he all the time. So uh, that thing sounds vicious when it barks. Moses had told Pharaoh that... Even these dogs, these wild dogs that are in town, that would bark at the at the uh, Israelites, that would somehow try to claim even dominion over them, these dogs would be silent. No invisible fence needed. They would just sit there and they would whimper like whipped dogs. God's salvation would be so complete that even the dogs' mouths would be shut. So here in verse thirty-four and thirty-five, Israel is on their way out and they are plundering the Egyptians. And the Egyptians are more than happy to allow them. When I was a kid, Halloween was good if you got a king-sized candy bar whenever you went to the door. These guys are coming up to the door and they're saying, I want the king-sized Snickers and your pearl necklace. And they're like, okay, here you go. You can have it. Take it. Go. Israel is now truly free. Look with me in Exodus chapter 13 now, verse 17. Fast forward just a little bit. They reiterate some instructions for Passover, and then in verse 17, the story continues along. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them along the road to the land of the Philistines, even though it was nearby. For God said, the people will change their minds and return to Egypt if they face war. So basically, God said, don't go this way. I know it's the shortcut, I know it's the shorter way. I know it's the the straight route to where you think you should go. Don't go that way. Go a different way because God knows that these people are in no shape to be fighting a war. They just got out of slavery. They're dealing with the Egyptians on 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 their backside. They don't need to go challenge these war people of the Philistines. So they say, go a different way even though it's a longer way. So he led the people around toward the Red Sea along the road of the wilderness. And the Israelites left the land of Egypt in battle formation. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him, because Joseph had made the Israelites swear a solemn oath, saying, God will certainly come to your aid. Then you must take my bones with you from this place. This goes all the way to the back, back to the book of Genesis. We looked at this all the way back in January. They said, we're going this way. We're going, to take, we're going to take the bones of our patriarch with us, and we're going in this place. And so they take off and they go, and they set out from Succoth, and they camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to lead them on their way during the day and in a pillar of fire to give them light at night so they could travel day or night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night never left its place in front of the people. I could camp out there and we would have a sermon right there. But we got a lot more to get to, so I'm going to keep on going. But they're led out. But do you notice, so when they're led out, they're led this long way. God knew that, that they needed to go this way because they, they, couldn't, they couldn't stand in, in, a, in a war right now. Listen, some of you are in a place right now where you are taking the long way around why you can't understand, you can't see why God won't let you take the easier route, the short way, the simple way. You can see from A to B, and you're saying, God, just let me get to that place. Just let me go right there. I can see it. This would be so much easier. And God's saying, no, you got to go all the way back here, all the way back around, and then you got to come back all the way around this way, and then I'll get you to that place. But it's, it's better for you if you do it that way. And let's not forget here, Israel had just come out of centuries of slavery. So we can't say, well, they've paid their dues, now God's going to allow them just to take the short way out, the easy way out. We can't say that either. Just because we've come out of a hard situation or we've dealt with suffering doesn't mean that, you know what, you've paid your dues now, now God's going to be on your side, all is well. God now owes you the easy route or the easy path. But that is not the case. Sometimes God takes us the long way around and it's hard and it stings and we have questions and we get angry and we get hurt and we don't know that what God is doing is for our own good. And as we'll see shortly, for his own glory. Exodus chapter 14, verse 1. Exodus chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites to turn back and camp in front of that place between Migdal and the, and the sea. You must camp in front of that other place, facing it by the sea. Pharaoh will say to the Israelites, They are wandering around the land in confusion, and the, and the wilderness has boxed them in. I will harden Pharaoh's heart, there that is again, I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will pursue them. Then I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh and all his army. And the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. You see that right there? God says, because Pharaoh doesn't give me glory, I will receive glory. Because God is sovereign. So the Israelites did this. And when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about the people and said, what have we done? We have released Israel from serving us. So basically, Israel gets out of town. They start looking around. They realize, wait a minute, this city ain't going to build itself. What have we done here? We've got to figure out where we get a labor force now because we're not going to do it. Our hands are soft. We're not going to do this physical labor. We need someone to do physical labor. And they said, wait a minute, we need to get these guys back. And so now they go after them. So he got his chariot ready and he took his troops with him. He took 600 of the best chariots and all the rest of the chariots of Egypt with officers in each one. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites who were going out triumphantly. The Egyptians, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his horsemen and his army, chased after them and caught up with them and they can the sea by that place in front of that other place. So, so what happens is they're, they're going out here after, these, after the, the Israelites now because they know they've got to get them back. They've made a mistake. One more time, Pharaoh has changed his mind and he's come back to reclaim his people that he had enslaved. Friends, make no mistake about it even though we may be set free our old slave masters will always come back and try to reclaim what they think is theirs pharaoh could not let himself be humiliated and defeated so he came back and when he shows up he's got them cornered it's perfect military position you got rocks on one place you got a sea behind them you got another place over here that they can't get around they're stuck Now Pharaoh can destroy the ones he wants, he can strike down Moses and Aaron, get his revenge, and then he can come back with a people that would never rebel against him again. It's a brilliant move by Pharaoh. He reclaims his authority, he reclaims his status, and he reclaims what he believes to be his people. The Israelites feel this too. They know they're in a bad spot. They know they're as good as dead. Look with me in verse 10. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw the Egyptians coming after them. And then the Israelites were terrified and cried out to the Lord for help. And they said to Moses, is Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you took us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Isn't this what we told you in Egypt? Leave us alone so that we can serve the Egyptians. It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die out here in the wilderness. Man, what what a passage they go from plundering the egyptians to now yelling at moses and saying look they had graves in egypt we could have died there and we would have lasted longer than we've lasted out here moses what would you bring us out here for this is completely pointless that you've done this why would you do this moses that was so stupid moses why would you do that you ever go to the store and forget your wallet you ever done that before show of hands anybody done that oh good I thought I was just an idiot. So lots of you guys are. That was probably not nice for me to say that. But that's true. I feel much better about myself. But it's the worst. I, I, so I've done that w- once or twice. Um, I went once on a massive shopping trip here in Food City. And of course, that's when it always happens, right? It's when you've got your... Bu- it's not when you've got like four or five items. It's when you've got like the double buggy thing, right? So you go and you... I, I went to Food City. I went, I, I, I went to pay, reached for my wallet... Nothing there. Nothing there. And you get that sick feeling that there's nothing. And so you start like doing this, like you're going to put your wallet in your your chest pocket or something. You're like trying to, I had a t-shirt on too, and I'm still like doing this, trying to find it, right? But I can't find it. So I say, hang on, just keep scanning. I'm going to run to the car and I'm going to see if it's out there. So I run to the car, throwing stuff all over the car, no wallet. I had left it, I had left it at home. So I have to go back in and do that walk of shame where you walk up with nothing in your hand like... Okay, what are we going to do here now? So go up, and, 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 and I said, I guess I need to go home and get my wallet. And then the, the manager that was now over there said, yep, I guess so. I don't know what I expected her to say. I don't know if she was like, I don't know if I thought maybe she'd be like, here, we'll put it on your tab. We'll cover this one. I don't know what I expected her to say, but she was just like, Yep. Yes, you do. So I had to go home, and I had to get my wallet. I had to go home, and I just, the whole time I'm driving home, just imagining some, like, courtesy clerk that had to put my ice cream up and had to put all my frozen foods back. And then whenever I got back, they had to figure out what those were and go back and get them again. It was awful. I felt stupid. Israel gets to the Red Sea. Egypt shows up behind them, and they all look at Moses like he forgot his wallet. Like, come on, Moses, what did you drag us out of here for? Did you not have a better plan than this? Did you not know that we were going to have to somehow get out of this, that they were going to come get us? You've got to be better than this, Moses. Are you really that big of a fool, Moses? You brought us all the way out here to die. We've done this slavery thing for a long time, and frankly, we've gotten pretty good at it, and we were comfortable with it. Could you not just let the status quo be enough for you? Well done, Moses. Now what? you got to pay up, but you don't have your wallet. So instead, we're about to have to pay the price for you. Thanks a lot. Then look in verse 13. But Moses said to the people, Don't be afraid. Stand firm and see the Lord's salvation He will provide for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. And the Lord will fight for you. You must be quiet. Moses is undeterred completely. He doesn't bat an eye. He doesn't flinch. He knows that God's gotten them out of Egypt in the first place. And if he's got them this far, he's going to keep on coming he's going to get them out then look in verse 15 the Lord said to Moses why are you crying out to me I love that what are you all whining about tell the Israelites to break camp as for you lift up your staff stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground as if as if that were not the obvious choice that's the way I read that God's like what are you whining about turn around and just walk through the water obviously that's what you should be doing I'm going to harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will receive glory by means of Pharaoh, all his army and his chariots and horsemen. And the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh when I receive glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. I love it. It's so good. You see right now what's about to happen. He says, turn and go. And they say, where? And he says, right there. And they say, that's impossible. And he says, and that's why that's where you're going. Go right there now. And how are they supposed to do it? What's the battle strategy that he gives them for all of this? Are they supposed to fight their way through the Egyptians? Are they supposed to defend their rear flank as they retreat? Are they supposed to set up a defensive perimeter? Are they supposed to launch a counterattack to this attack that's coming for the Egyptians? Nope. Verse 14, be quiet, let God fight this one. That's the strategy. That's what they're told to do. Be quiet and let God fight this one. God doesn't tell his people to be strong. He doesn't tell them to fight for his glory. He says, stand there. Friend, can I tell you that God is not really all that interested in how strong we are? He's not really all that interested in how strong you are and what you can endure and how good you are and how well you accomplish something. He's really not all that interested in it. He's much more interested in showing us how strong He is to the point that He would lead us to a place of complete weakness just so He can show how strong He is. God doesn't tell you to be strong but to be quiet and then to watch how strong he is. So let's just read this scene of what God does here. I'm going to read a pretty long chunk here, but it just narrates it for us. Then the angel of God, who was going in front of the Israelite forces, moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and stood behind them. And it came between the Egyptian and Israelite forces, and the cloud was there in the darkness. Yet it lit up the night. Man, what a phrase right there. I could camp on that one too, especially after... Friday night as we sat here in darkness and Jesus was buried, the cloud was there in the darkness, yet it lit up the night. So neither group came near to each other all night long. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back, back with a powerful east wind all that night and turned the sea into dry land. So the waters were divided, and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. The Egyptians set out and pursued all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen, and, we w- and went to the sea after them. Then during the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the Egyptian forces from the pillar of cloud or fire and the cloud and threw them into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and made them drive with difficulty. Let's get away from Israel, the Egyptians said. They've seen this movie before. They know things are going south and that God is fighting for them. but Because Yahweh is fighting for them against Egypt. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back on the Egyptians, on their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and at daybreak the sea returned to its normal depth. And while the Egyptians were trying to escape from it, the Lord threw them into the sea. The waters came back and covered the chariots and horsemen, the entire army of Pharaoh that had gone after them into the sea. None of them survived. But the Israelites had walked through the sea on dry ground with the waters like a wall to them on their right and their left. That day the Lord saved Israel from the power of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. When Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and believed in Him and in His servant Moses. So there you have it. One final powerful moment in this epic drama that has been unfolding in the book of Exodus. As their enemies washed up on the shore, Israel is saved. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine the jubilation? Can you imagine what they must have done? They must have sung. In fact, we know that they sang, and we'll look at that next week. We'll see Moses' song next week. Can you imagine what it would have felt like to stand right on the shore and to be able to look out and to see where all your enemies were behind you now? They are dead in front of you, and you have nothing left to fear after being oppressed, not just your whole life, but for every generation that you even knew before you. And now you are truly free. There's a lot we could talk about in this moment. Today, I just want to see... Three things. Three things that's going to take this story about these people so long ago, and it's going to take us from Exodus to Easter. You see, the whole event in Exodus is to prepare us for the moment that we celebrate today. That's why we have this picture in the book of Exodus. It's to prepare us for the moment when Jesus came out of the tomb. When Jesus defeated his enemies, the whole picture that we have here is to bring us to this day that we celebrate, Easter, because the exodus is a picture of your salvation and mine. And so out of this, I just want to show you three things, three things in how the exodus mirrors our salvation. The first, it was God's work, and it is God's work. Over and over and over again, we have gone through the plagues. God has been driving home the point that there are no other gods that can stand before Him. That's been the title of our series this whole time. There's no other gods that can stand before Yahweh. None. Pharaoh never stood a chance. Pharaoh's gods never stood a chance. God stares down the man himself, Pharaoh, who claimed to be God, And He systematically decimates him and his nation. Moses didn't do that. Israel didn't do that. God did that. God also paved their path. He led them with the cloud and with the pillar of fire. When they get to the Red Sea... What does he say to them? He says, be quiet, stand there, and watch what I'm about to do. He doesn't say, get swimming. He doesn't say, I hope you got a boat. He doesn't say, start rowing. He doesn't say any of that. He says, stand there, be quiet, and watch. God saves them. You just have to stand there. The Lord will fight for you. And so it is with us this morning. Our salvation could never be accomplished on our own merits. You could not go to church enough. You could not pray enough prayers. You could not live a good enough life. You could not say good enough things. You could not give enough money. You could not be a good enough person in order to cross that divide, to get over that sea. You could never make it. We have no more chance of being saved on our own works than Israel did of swimming across that sea. It cannot be done. Our task is to stand and to have faith in the God that can deliver. And that is all. Do you notice that God led them to that place? To that place where they were backed up against the water? Why do you think he did that? He did that because he wanted Israel, he wanted to force them to admit to their absolute inability to save themselves. He needed them to know we can't get out of this situation unless somebody does something. We're dead men here. They were already digging their graves, they knew they were done. Until God said, I've shown you your weakness, now let me show you my strength. Friend, until you see your weakness, you will never know his strength. And until you come to the complete inability to find salvation in your own works, in the good things that you do, you will never know how to rest in his salvation. The second thing to see how the Exodus pictures our salvation is that it is complete, and by complete here, what I mean is, I don't mean that it's finished, that it's done. I mean it is thorough. It is exhaustive. When Israel leaves Egypt, they're leaving, they're, they're leaving town in a hurry because they're being ushered out. They're not leaving town in a hurry because they're, they're worried they might get caught and they're sneaking out in the, in, in, in the darkness and they're hoping that, that Pharaoh doesn't see them. They're leaving town in a hurry because their enemies have been so thoroughly decimated. They're plundering them on the way out. The dogs are beaten down. There's nothing that would even speak against them leaving, not even the dogs. They're taking what they want. And no one is saying a thing. When they go to the Red Sea and God delivers them, it isn't after the loss of a third of their men in a bloody battle and we celebrate the battle of the Red Sea and how Israel triumphed. No, 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 no. That's not how this works. They win this battle without one life lost for them. The entire army of the most powerful nation in the world is gone. Gone. The entire army that went after them from Egypt is dead. Not one of them survived, it points out to us. The most powerful nation in the world came up against a bunch of slaves and not one slave died and the army is wiped out completely. At no point is Israel in danger. The closest that they came to being in danger is whenever God brought their enemies close just to prove a point of how strong he was. So it is with us. Our salvation in Jesus is exhaustive. He will not leave one sin on our record. He has blotted them all out. He does not hold them against us. Our enemies have been defeated on that cross. Jesus has paid it all. All of it. Every single one of our sins. We have won the victory, and it's not been a close battle. It's been a landslide. Our salvation is in full. And no one, no one can accuse us again. And finally, the third thing, and how the the picture of Exodus now reminds us of our salvation on Easter, is that it is finished and now i do mean that it is finished it is over there is no more work to be done the story develops so dramatically the tension in the story just builds and builds the plagues increase one by one the exodus followed by pharaoh's change of heart they have them cornered they're crossing the sea it must have been absolute chaos as this unfolded and then in a moment the sea closed The enemies are gone. The salvation is complete. Can you imagine when you hear the waves just lapping on the shore? And you see your enemies defeated? After a night of pure chaos, crossing over a sea, looking around like, what is going on? There's water over here. There's water over here. Oh my goodness, they're coming to get us. We better get out of here. Oh, this is crazy. And then the waters come crashing down. It is silent and it's just a peaceful day at the beach. So it is with our salvation. Satan's accusations are loud. They're so loud, they're almost tangible. You can almost feel them. We can feel the pain of of our sin on our heart. It rings in our ears constantly. The taskmasters of sin, shame, condemnation, judgment, and punishment, they are hard taskmasters that do not relent. But when Christ declares that it is finished, and when that stone came open that Easter morning, all those voices are silenced. And it is beautifully, gloriously deafening Silence. No longer do we hear the voice of fear, shame, and condemnation. Instead, we taste the freedom in Christ that we have never known before. Our salvation is finished. This is the moment that defines Israel. This is the moment that defines God's people in the Old Testament. Time and time and time again, they are commanded to remember this moment. They are commanded to remember it so that they remember how weak they were, how strong God was, how gracious God was, how desperately they needed God, how faithful God was, how they could count on Him in the future, and how He never forgot them in the past. That is the Old Testament. And then you fast forward to the New Testament, and the same picture is repeated. In the New Testament, there's an event that's seen exactly the same as the Exodus, but it's not not just the same, it's an even greater Exodus. It's the fulfillment of the picture in the Old now revealed in the New. The Old Testament is seen through the dirty camera lens, the New Testament brings it fully into focus. In the New Testament, the greater Exodus is the salvation brought to us by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we too are commanded to remember a God that is strong, that delivers, that rescues, that saves, that has not and will not forsake us. This is Easter. This is what we celebrate today. We don't get together and dress up and wear nice clothes and take pictures and hide eggs and eat chocolate bunnies. We celebrate the fact that we once were dead. We were good as gone. We were in our weakness and in our sin. And in that moment when we knew our weakness and we knew our sin and we knew we couldn't save ourselves, we come to Christ and we say, Christ, I need you to deliver me here. And He says, be quiet. Watch this. And then he comes up out of the grave. This is what we celebrate. This is Easter. And so this morning, as we finish this, as we go from Exodus to Easter, I don't know where you are in that. Maybe you're still there with Israel thinking, i got to figure out how to save myself. Maybe you've never come to Christ and said, I need you to deliver me. Maybe you're trying to swim across that ocean right now and you're realizing how exhausting it is. I invite you this morning to stop swimming, stop struggling, stop trying to pretend that you are something great and something that can get you somewhere. Stop trying to trust in your own strength and trust in Christ and come to the one who was crucified and now lives. If you're here this morning and you're a Christian, but you still have that accusation ringing in your ears of your sin, you still have Satan telling you how much shame you should have, how horrible you are, what a terrible person you are, all the things that you've done, say, yes, absolutely, that is who I am, but that is not what defines me anymore because Christ knows none of that now. Because I am under the blood of Christ. And because Easter tells me that my salvation is exhaustive and it is finished. I'm going to wrap up here. I'm going to pray. The band's going to come up and they're going to sing one more song. There'll be folks available to pray with you in the back. Elders, if you'd make yourselves available in the back to be able to pray with anyone that would like to pray. If you're here this morning and you don't know the power of that resurrection where you are set free, we would love to pray with you. They'll be available there in the back and the band will come. And we will sing, Jesus paid it all. Let's pray. Oh, Father, what a joy to be able to celebrate on a day like this. A day where we once were dead, where we were dead in our sin and our trespasses, when our weakness was at its greatest. You came and you said, I am stronger than even death itself. Nothing can hold me. Father, thank you for the gift of the Son. Thank you for the picture of the exodus and a salvation that is so complete. Father, thank you for the jubilation that must have been present on that day when the enemies were defeated and Israel knew it was truly free. Father, may we sing with the same kind of jubilation this morning that we once were dead, once we were done, we were digging our own graves now now we know full salvation Father may we rejoice may we rejoice as people who know Christ has risen it's in his name that we pray Amen